0: Welcome to the Bare Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from to love, honor, and Vacuum.com where we like to talk about healthy evidence-based biblical advice for your sex life and your marriage. And it is the last Thursday of the month. And so we are doing more of a men's focus for our Start Your Engines podcast. So women, of course, are more than welcome to listen, just as men are more than welcome to listen to all of the podcasts. But we're going to be talking specifically about some things regarding masculinity, guys, etc. today. So we're at the end of the month, and this was an exciting month for us i've got my husband keith on the podcast hey, with me and my son-in-law connor
1: hey how's it going <laughs> and don't answer that <laughs> connor
0: eric not connor keith our books launched this month that's
1: right that's right yeah good yeah. guys
0: guide to great sex good yeah, girls good guide girls to great guy. sex they've been yeah. out for i don't know about March
2: 15th, they read it. It seems
0: a lot longer yeah. than that. But yeah, so. we've been doing a lot of, oh of interviews and it's been great.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's been amazing being on all these podcasts and saying things. And like, it's like you said before, you know, you think of all these things, you write a book, and then you go on all these podcasts and you think of all these things like, oh, I should put that in the book. <laughs> and it's, it's just. Oh,
0: yeah. You think of the best lines when you're on podcasts and you're like, wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah totally. It's been kind of fun. And so many people are telling us that, yeah, these are going to be the books that they buy for wedding shower gifts now. So yeah. that's really great. You can see them. We will. We'll put the link in the notes, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. I thought we could start our first segment with a stat that we didn't put in the book. Mm-hmm. We had the ability to find the stat, but we did not put the stat in the book <laughs> because The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex is a book that's saying, like, it's, it's aimed at 20s, 30s guys, and it's saying you can be an awesome lover for mm-hmm. your wife. You can be incredible. You yeah. can get over the obstacles. You can be awesome. And so I've got a stat about how guys aren't always awesome. And so we just didn't think that really fit <laughs> with the book.
2: Well, um, and the thing is, too, is that, you know, guys can be great, but guys can also do bad things. The same way that women can mm-hmm. be great, but women can mm-hmm. also do bad things. That's We're all human beings. Right? Exactly. So.
0: The point of the book was to inspire people to do more. It wasn't to give a full commentary on the state of males and evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. But I would like to take this moment (laughs) to give a bit of a commentary on males and evangelicalism. So we have a patron group, which is an awesome space. It's a private Facebook group for people who want to support our research and help us do some podcast series, get into social media outlets that we can't monetize as easily. Um, So the money doesn't actually go to this podcast or to the blog. It goes to Rebecca and Joanna who are trying to branch out. In that Facebook group, we joanna and i were asking look we have the ability to run all of these stats but we don't even know which ones to run like we asked guys we asked women like there's 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 probably 200 questions Mm -hmm. between the men's and the women's survey actually more than that together so we can ask anything and so which we were brainstorming and we were coming up against a brick wall and so joanna says well let's see if anyone in the patron group has some ideas and someone in the patron group said you know what i would really like to know how many guys are safe Mm-hmm. What proportion of Christian guys are safe? Mm-hmm. We thought, well, that's a good question. So then we had to figure out what is safe. Like, how can we how can yeah. we take what we have and measure safe? And we, we came up with four ideas that they don't use porn, mm-hmm. that they don't lust in any of the situations we gave them. Because on the survey, we presented guys with several different real life scenarios and asked what they would be most likely to do in those scenarios and some of the options we gave were lusting and some of them were not so they don't lust in any of our scenarios they do make their wife's pleasure a priority or at least they say they do because mm-hmm. a guy who says he doesn't it's a <laughs> like, red flag <laughs> yeah, <so> no
2: he- <laughs>
0: i don't, don't make my
1: wife's know. pleasure a priority no, really nah. yeah I've got, I've got a list and there are just other things that are <laughs> above that yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: So if if a guy checked that, that was a bad thing, and then that they don't believe the obligation sex message, so right. they don't believe they're entitled right. to sex from their wife. And when we ran that, so we wanted to know guys who do not do any of those four things, we came up with a pretty bad number, thirty three point seven percent. Yeah, thirty three
2: point seven percent. So Connor, do you want to say something, or should I jump in? Cause I have some I'll, stuff I'll to let say. You go ahead. Yeah, because because yeah. I, I think one woman stated. Better than, B- better feared. than I had feared, but not as high as I'd hoped. Yes. Yeah. what mm-hmm. she said, or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I think, yeah, well, I mean, absolutely. Because if you think about how much the obligation sex message is preached out there mm-hmm. to men, if for women, they need to feel safe, that the, the obligation sex message needs to be dropped, mm-hmm. then there's a lot of men who aren't safe because they still believe this toxic mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily because they're bad men, but that doesn't mean that they're safe men. Like yes. they're, they're still good men. But they've believed a lie that's causing them to be harmful, and they don't realize it. Mm-hmm. And I was in that camp. I, I I had very much bought the obligation sex message when well, we yeah, got married. Yeah,
1: and we, we've seen a lot of testimonials uh, mm-hmm. on the blog and everything from husbands who have believed these things. And then, you know, that's had a negative impact on their marriage. And they've come around later to realize, wait, this isn't the way, this isn't right. And so they start working on changing that and Sometimes they're able to reverse or mitigate a lot of that damage. Other times we see that it's still a work in progress to undo the wounds that have been caused. But mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. no, we see that a lot.
0: Yeah, now I wanna I wanna break down the numbers a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, it's like thirty-three point seven percent, but the score is really thirty-three point seven out of fifty, not thirty-three point right. seven out of a hundred, because 50% of guys use porn. Mm-hmm. So when you take out, well, it's like 49.6 or something. So when you take those guys out, you were really working with a, a potential yeah. of safe, of 50. Yeah. And so out of that 50, 33.7. So, so of the guys who don't use porn, two thirds are safe. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. of
2: the ones that are not safe in that group, probably I would guess the majority of reasons why they would be disqualified in your definition of safe is because they believe the obligation sex message.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would have to have Joanna run it more, like mm-hmm, how yeah. much does lust overlap mm-hmm. with porn? How yeah. much does the obligation sex overlap with porn? Yeah. But yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and
2: the reason I, I say that is because the thing I find very interesting here is basically people are reacting to this in different ways. So for men, okay? So there are men who are going to see this stat and going to go, wow, what can I do to be a safer man. Mm -hmm. And there's other men who are gonna go, two-thirds of men aren't safe, they're a bunch of feminists trying to bash men and blah, 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 and that's Mm -hmm. what they're gonna say. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's because you have an option to say both men and women are important, and therefore, if a woman feels unsafe, that should matter to me, Mm -hmm. and I wanna try and see. And if if she's expecting something out of me that's unreasonable, Mm -hmm. then we can have that kind of discussion. But I'm willing to go to the table, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas there's a whole cadre of guys in the Christian church who are like, no, the way that men are is the way that men are and women need to adjust. And Mm -hmm. that sort of mentality is exactly where it's fertile ground for this obligation sex message and that sort of stuff to grow out of because it's basically men are the focus, women have to somehow catch up and do what we need them to do for us rather Mm -hmm. than really truly saying, God made us both to get something out of this. How do we communicate to each other what we both need? How do I as a woman tell you, you know, what I need from you, how sure. you as a man respond to that, all that healthy kind of stuff, they just throw it out the window because they're not interested in listening to women,
1: which I find so sad. There's something interesting that I think about that statistic. Uh, in the same way you were saying, one of the patrons was like, well, it's higher than I'd feared, but lower than I'd hoped, is I, I think an interesting thing with kind of being around that one third area is that it's a low enough percentage or a low enough proportion to show those who are willing to listen. That there is a genuine issue here, and some you know to to encourage self-reflection, like, am I in that third, or am I in the the two, am I in the unsafe two-thirds? But it's also a large enough portion that it it seems very attainable. I think. Yes. Like, if you hear that one percent of men are. Doing things well and doing things okay and not setting off any of these red flags. I think a lot of guys might be really disheartened by that and think (laughs) that's, oh man, I don't know if I can honestly salmon that 1%. And if I'm not, I honestly don't know if I could even get there because that's a pretty small. I know some good men and that's uh, all the good men that I know wouldn't fit into that category. But with a third of men being safe, I I think it makes it seem absolutely attainable. Like you're not facing up against unimaginable odds here. It's like, okay, well, maybe let's do some self-reflection. And if I see a few areas for improvement, I can just tweak those a little bit. And honestly, that right there might be enough to get me into that safe third if I'm not there already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. You know what I think is interesting too, is that a lot of people are thinking that I'm man bashing Mm -hmm. by saying that only a third of men are safe. But I'm saying, look, guys, a third of men are safe, whereas a lot of the men... We're actually saying no men are safe. Yes, that's true. There was an article that Gary Thomas wrote where he was quoting Al Mohler, who was was the head of, is it Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary? One of the Baptist Theological Seminaries, saying that there isn't a man who isn't sexually bent. Mm-hmm. In some way.
2: There isn't a man alive who isn't sexually bent in some way or something.
0: And some so way. they're saying the number yeah. zero. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, and, and, and that's that's the every man's battle thing we've said before, right? Me, yeah. um Every Heart Restored said men just don't have that Christian view of sex. We got there we naturally had, simply We see a reason being. for the propensity of sexual sin among us. Yeah. We got there naturally simply by being men. Mm-hmm. So yep. men are irredeemable people perverted. Right.
1: Sexual... We're unsafe and God made us that way.
2: That's exactly yeah. right. And, <laughs> but they're not man bashing.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: Because it feeds this idea of I am the way I am. I don't have to change.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You women need to catch up and do do things differently mm-hmm. because of my problem, mm-hmm. which I refuse to acknowledge as a problem because I'm the man.
0: Yeah. 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 So it is it is really problematic. Okay. Here's my belief. This is me being Sheila. We don't have any proof of this. Okay. <laughs> but but this is what, what we think is going on. It's not 33.7% in every church.
2: Right. Mm. There
0: are some churches where it's probably like eighty percent of guys are safe, and there's some churches where there's probably fifteen percent of guys Or
2: are safe. or close to zero in some yes. churches. Unfortunately. Like, like
0: I have been in a church. We have been in a church where I know now I didn't at the time, but I know now that about eighty percent of the men have been using porn. Mm. And my kids would tell me about the guys using porn in the back row of the youth group openly during youth group and you know, everyone's parents were as well, like it was, it was bad. Okay. Mm -hmm. But then I've been in churches where I have felt very safe as a woman, where this was not a problem that people really Mm -hmm. brought up, which doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but I really think we know that habits go in pockets. Mm -hmm. And so I think what, what, to me, what that says is guys who are listening. If you are in a church where every single guy around you struggles with porn, Mm -hmm. There's something about your church culture which is contributing to that. Yeah. Because not every guy uses porn. Yeah. <laughs> and so if every guy that you know uses porn in your <laughs> church, it might be time to find a different church. Because mm-hmm. it might be that if you're in a different church, you're going to be hearing different things. There's going to be a different culture. And you're not going to be surrounded by people that are kind of going to push you towards porn, even mm-hmm. without meaning to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's easier to quit smoking when you're not surrounded by smokers. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, this is very true, and and it's not that people brag about using porn. I mean, I guess some guys do. I don't they, know. They,
2: there is some. That I, I get that sense. There's a mentality of like, I'm a good Christian man, but I struggle with porn because I'm so deeply masculine. Yes, that I, think I can't help it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And but, that's that's a terrible mindset to have.
0: But even if they're not bragging about porn, use, I think there's there's a bragging about sex just the way we talk about sex the Mm. obligation sex message the do not deprive message the way that we word that when you are in a church that is always teaching that women are responsible for covering up for making sure that men are sexually satisfied so they don't watch porn that's going to increase porn use yeah and so if you can get out of those churches it's probably going to be easier to quit porn and women if you are in a church where if you're single and every guy around you is using porn and you're like I can't trust anyone here. Like, I feel safer with the guys outside of church. Find a different church (laughs) because not all churches are like that. Mm -hmm. Believe me, not all churches are like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, Okay. enough of that. Enough of that. I want to turn to your article because you wrote a great article this week on the blog, and I want you to share it with us. So, I'm going to invite you to read it.
2: Time for me to go on the rampage about biblical manhood again. Today I had planned to write an inspirational post about how we as men can make a big difference by speaking up about the things Sheila has found in her studies. God willing, I might get to that by the end of the post. But Sheila knocked me off course and got my blood pressure up a bit by sending me a link to an article called The Masculinity of Christ in the Face of Effeminate Christianity by someone named Dale Partridge. The article is the same old rant about how men are deserting the church because we have feminized it and how we need to realize that Christianity is not an egalitarian religion and get back to patriarchy as soon as possible if we're to have any hope for the future. The article immediately reminded me of a similar one I read last year on the Desiring God website called The Future of Masculinity by Greg Morse. Both articles are permeated with the idea that men are supposed to be in charge, dangerous, and a little bit scary. Anything less is not a true man. In Morse's article, he mourns the fact that today's virtuous man is depicted as much more virtue than man, while Partridge similarly opines that any form of masculinity that doesn't adhere to the world's standard is deemed toxic. Both then try to show how Jesus should not be seen the way effeminate culture wants to portray him, but as truly masculine, i.e. the narrow way they see masculinity. But here's my problem. Forget masculine or feminine. We know that Jesus was good. If your view of masculinity sets it in opposition to virtue, It is by definition in opposition to Jesus. Men who write articles like this are usually the first to accuse people who disagree with them of reading their preconceived notions into the text of the Bible. How do they not see they are doing the exact same thing? They seem to have a great need to project their preconceived view of masculinity onto Jesus, rather than letting Jesus inform their masculinity and, in the process, Maybe learn how to be a man and not be toxic. Partridge, in a superscript, references the Wikipedia page on toxic masculinity, giving an example of what the world's standard is vis-a-vis masculinity. You know, the one that we're supposed to avoid. The wiki article clearly states which of the elements of traditional masculinity are considered toxic. Stereotypes of men as socially dominant, along with misogyny and homophobia. And the article explains why. Due in part to their promotion of violence, including sexual assault and domestic violence. So, which of social dominance, misogyny, homophobia, sexual assault, and domestic violence are the non-negotiables these men are advocating for us to endorse? Morse describes the pitiable, watered-down, non-toxic man this way he is compliant, deferential, and soft. He is nice. He works his job, pays his taxes, keeps his head down, and avoids scandal and, by all means, anything that could be called abuse. Consider what Morse is saying. If a man is nice, works his job, pays his taxes, he's not a real man. Oh no, no. To be a real man, he has to be dangerous. Even to the point of crossing the line to things that could be called abuse. The wiki article that Partridge references grants that traditional masculine traits such as devotion to work, pride in excelling at sports, and providing for one's family are not considered to be toxic. Unfortunately, that is simply not enough for the kind of men who write these articles. No, to them, real men must be alpha males who control and dominate And we men who don't feel that need? Hmm. Well, my friend, we are all relegated to beta male status. I have a couple of problems with this. First, the alpha beta male thing is total nonsense, as a humorous video that I include in the blog post shows. But even more, by their own definition, the sort of men who clamor for female submission are clearly much less manly than men who don't do so. To me, men who need to make a woman feel small in order to feel like a man, actually have no idea what it means to be a man. If being a man means having courage, taking responsibility, and doing what needs to be done, then we regular males are outpacing all you alpha males by a large margin. If you want to be courageous, try living in a world where you don't get any freebies by being a man, where you're judged by the merits of your contribution rather than by the fact that you were born with a penis. We, the majority of men, have been doing that for some time now without really finding it to be an issue. It is only weak men who fear and shame women for being strong. This was actually shown scientifically in a study from 2015 of players of the video game Halo. The study found that male players who did poorly became increasingly hostile to female players who were more successful than they were. But the men with the skills they had no problem with the women being allowed on the field. The kind of men who write articles like this reveal their insecurity and their need to genderize virtue in the first place. Partridge makes a huge point that Jesus displayed masculinity by his great courage in saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. In saying this was courageous, I agree with Partridge completely. Given that Jesus knew what was going to happen to him, The unflinching resolve he displayed is a tremendous inspiration to us all, male and female alike. But Partridge's claim that of all the statements demonstrating the raw masculinity recorded in human history, there is none more remotely courageous. It falls on deaf ears to me. How is this a uniquely masculine act? Can women not resolve to do things that require courage? What about the women at Christianity today? who got up and went to work every day for years, knowing that their boss was likely gonna sexually harass them, but also knowing that the head of human resources was his golfing buddy, so there was nowhere they could turn for help. What about Eileen Gray, who steeled herself to go before Reverend John MacArthur and the men on the church's elder board to seek help from her abusive husband? I'm sure she feared what would happen if they didn't listen. And in fact, MacArthur publicly shamed and excommunicated her for not taking her abuser back. To me, these examples of courage have more in common with Jesus' utterance of Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem than anything that I have seen coming out of the bastions of male dominance lately. But, shamefully, men like Partridge and Morse are too busy telling women how much Jesus is not like them that they miss it entirely entirely when Jesus shows himself in them. Simply put, men who are confident in their masculinity don't feel like women are treading on our turf when they are courageous too. We don't feel it necessary to distinguish how she was brave or strong or virtuous in a feminine way, but the way we were brave or strong or virtuous was particularly masculine. Maybe it is high time for us to let these authors know that when they talk like that, They just come across as silly and, frankly, a bit pathetic. So I guess that's my inspirational call to the men who are reading this. Most of us are not toxic and don't particularly find that a hardship. Most of us are not ashamed to be like the one who called himself gentle and humble of heart. The one who said, turn the other cheek. The one who said, not so among you, about ruling over others. Most of us are confident in our masculinity without needing to make women feel small or afraid or that somehow they are less like Jesus than we are. Most of us think that being a bully is the opposite of being a man. So let's stop letting these bullies think they actually speak for Jesus. Let's stop letting people who have told us that they need an uneven playing field or they will take their ball and go home to give us lessons in masculinity. And most of all, let's stand up for our sisters if we ever see these bullies try to pick on them again.
0: Thanks for writing that. Mm-hmm. I really do like it when you write in the blog. You should do it more.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, got a, I also have a day job. Yeah,
0: I know. <laughs> okay. Before we discuss your article too much, I, I have a funny story that kind of relates to it. Yeah, yeah. I shared on Facebook this week a comment about how when you have power imbalances, You can't really have consent.
2: Mm -hmm. You mean like so, like if if you're a teacher, student, right? You know, minister, parishioner, doctor, patient, right? And this is
0: known throughout society that like when there's a big power imbalance, consent isn't possible, and that's why a lot of these things are either against the law or they mean you lose your license to practice Mm -hmm. whatever the profession is, et cetera.
2: Or at the very least, you need to disclose it to human resources, or you know, right.
0: But interestingly, in Christianity, in evangelicalism, we set up marriage as a power and balance.
2: Some sections of evangelicalism. Yes, yes set some up, sections. Deliberately say it as a power and balance because yeah. the man is in charge, the man's right. the boss, mm-hmm. and the woman's supposed to do what he says. Right. Yeah.
0: And someone shared that mm-hmm. with, with um, the caption. So they shared it on their page because I can see who shares it. So the guy who shared it said, So then I guess keith can't consent because we all know that in their right. marriage yeah. she has the power and there's yeah. a power imbalance yeah, yeah. because he has exactly. to submit to her which yeah. i just find yeah. so funny because if you were to talk to anyone in our hometown yeah. like you save premature babies lives like you're so respected we go into any grocery store they know who you are oh thank you you saved my kid's life <laughs>
2: like, well, but you're famous now too
0: well, I, people don't recognize me the way they recognize you, though. Mm. Like, I I might be bigger out there, but in our town, and you've always made more money than me. I stayed home with the kids for like how many years? Mm-hmm. Well, all of them, I guess, twenty years. Mm-hmm. I just find it really, really, really funny. Well, yeah, I know. Well, yes. <laughs> well, I,
1: I I will say though, uh, we've uh, Rebecca and I have found there to be about a fifty fifty split when we uh when we meet someone and it comes up that Rebecca's last name is yep. Gregoire and they recognize half of the time it'll be wait, is her dad Keith Gregoire? And the other half of the time will be like, wait, is her mom Sheila? (laughs) So it's really... Right like, down the but middle. Becca, is...
0: Becca did not change her last name on her health card deliberately so that when she's in labor <laughs> in the hospital in Belleville, everyone knows this <laughs> is <isn't> Keith <laughs> Gregoire's daughter because you spend so much time on the maternity floor and in deliveries. And it was hilarious because after she had Vivian, all these nurses just paraded in and out of the room for the next... Because yeah. everyone wanted to see Dr. Gregoire's little granddaughter.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like... That's
2: awesome. So, yeah. So, first of all, so you're disputing whether or not you're really the power in this relationship or whatever (laughs) but the whole point is that this is a ridiculous these are this is a well we know who wears the pants in that family Mm kind of stupidity Mm -hmm. that these guys are saying and this and this happens all the time i get these kind of comments that are attacking me as a man because i'm not really in charge Uh and it's like really like how insecure do you have to be to think that's going to hurt me like like what is your view of masculinity do you think saying that to me is going to make me feel bad yeah, Like, that's a very fragile view of masculinity if you think mm-hmm. that way. I mean, it's kind of sad and pathetic, to be honest, right? And it's, the, the, issue, the issue is this. Is these men can't look at a relationship where both people have equal power mm-hmm. and equal decision-making capacity and see that as a good thing. They see it as the man has lost something. Mm-hmm. Because to them, mm-hmm. being in charge and being the power in the relationship is more important than health of the relationship to them. Mm -hmm. And it's sad. I mean, we we heard this before. Um, Some of the commenters of some of the blog posts I've done before about bringing forward issues of justice for women. And they say things like, um, in my house, I rule and my wife loves it. Mm -hmm. Right? Another guy said, uh, in my house, my word is law. And he put in big capital letters and it's this whole mentality of this is the way that I am this is the man I am and it's Mm -hmm. trying to impress me and it's like dude who are you trying to impress who are you trying to impress because that doesn't impress anybody Mm -hmm. okay so you're a jerk like I don't care it's like it's like that Shania Twain song that don't impress me much it's like okay so you got a Neanderthal attitude about women that doesn't impress me like I don't understand
0: No, I just think it's so funny that the assumption is that if the guy isn't in charge the woman is
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, because the idea of of yeah. people just working together is so foreign to them, and that's so sad. yeah. There's,
0: there was another on this on one of the same posts. There was another huge thread, like I think it has about a hundred comments now, where a guy was saying, "Okay, but what do you do if you can't make a decision? Like, you yeah. do need a tiebreaker." And all these women were saying, uh, "I've been married thirty two years. We've never needed a tiebreaker." Yeah, <laughs> you <know>? this, this <laughs> is something
1: that we've uh, we've had a long conversation with one of our friends about, and what Rebecca and I realized is that, yeah, we've been married for almost seven years now, and there hasn't been a point where there's a major decision that we don't eventually get on the same page for. And that's really important because there have been a lot of big decisions where for one of us to just unilaterally make the decision, it could have put us into a bad spot, would have made one of us unhappy. The thing is, I trust that both myself and Rebecca are equally capable of... Being in the right. Mm-hmm. I've talked to people who take this complementarian uh, approach where it's like, well, I mean, at the end of the day, you do need to have a tiebreaker, right? You need and uh, like we read in the Bible that the guys gotta be the tiebreakers. So that's just what we live out in our marriage. And it's like, well, why do you need a tiebreaker if you can't get on the same page about this thing? You keep talking until you do. Because It it can break down in a number of different ways. If you're doing that where the guy is the tiebreaker... if uh, If you don't agree on something... What it means is that... The best that the woman can hope for... Is to reach a compromise that she's partially okay with... And in other situations... She doesn't get her... Her concerns aren't addressed. The worst a guy can hope for... Is to reach a compromise where he's satisfied... At least in part... And the rest of the time he's going to get all of his concerns addressed. When what should happen is you should keep talking through like buying a house or buying a new yeah. car, you should absolutely be on the same page about those two things. There are smaller decisions where we don't necessarily have to get right on the same page because it impacts or is a lot more important to one person than the other. And then, you know, say it's, uh, say it's something about how we're going to do our lawn the next mm-hmm. year because I'm the one who's actually doing the work on the lawn and I'm the one who's reading into stuff we can do to reduce our water consumption and make things look nice and do it all for cheap because I'm doing the work and I'm putting in the time and everything like that Rebecca might bring up some concerns but ultimately if I'd have said no I think I think this is what I am going to do here for these reasons she can say yeah okay no you know what that's fair <laughs> that sounds all right and if there's something that she's doing, like, uh, say, she's, I'm going to be doing the gardening beds, but she's going to be doing a lot of the gardening in those beds. When it comes to what she's going to plant, yeah, I might have my input, but ultimately it's going to come down to what she decides mm-hmm. because it impacts her more and it's more important to her. She's more invested. But houses, kids, cars, and a whole plethora of other big things don't break the tie. Just be on the same page. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think what's so interesting is often people will say, oh, yes, but someone's got to break the tie, as if that's a trump card to show... Like, to prove their and view. They think, and they think. Uh, and they I, say this. I, I like, like the word.
2: I use the word hierarchy. I don't use the word complementary. Yes, you're right. Because, yeah. because I, I find complementary. because if you're really complementing each other, that's what a complement with an E, like you fulfill each other. If you are a complementarian, you believe that you both have something yeah. to bring to the mm-hmm. marriage. Yeah. But we often use, hi- they're, they're hierarchicalists. Yeah. They believe that the man is in charge, not that they both have things yeah. to bring. And
0: so they say this trump card. Yeah.
2: And right? this is the trump card for this why they... This is the trump yeah. card.
0: And then all of the rest of us are going why are you saying that you don't need someone to break a tie and 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 they look at us like we're from a different planet mm-hmm. often and this is what was happening on this thread is all of these people are saying no 32 years that's not how we function yeah. what well, we function together because we work things out and if we can't work things out that's a sign there's something wrong with the marriage and we need to get help mm-hmm. if you are used to having a tie breaker then what can happen is you take shortcuts mm-hmm. Because you can argue about something and say, well, I guess we just can't agree, so we have to do it my well, way.
2: Yeah, and I've said this before, that if, if your belief is that the man is the tiebreaker, then you believe that the man is completely in charge. Mm-hmm. Because the man can make any situation a tiebreaker situation simply by disagreeing with his wife. Mm-hmm. And, and people say, oh, you're man bashing because you're assuming men have bad motives. Okay, And so that, I'm apparently a man basher because I'm saying this is clearly and obviously an abuse that could happen. Mm -hmm. Rather than addressing how that abuse could happen, they tell me I'm a man basher. I'm saying that men have bad motives. Mm -hmm. But here's the deal. In families where you have the option of a tiebreaker, whether that's the way we're going to solve it, there's a lot more tiebreaker situations that come up. Yes. Right? So guess what? It's not that men are bad. It's men are humans. Mm -hmm. If we can get a trump card, we're going to use it, male or female. Right? Yeah. And so so it's we need to get away from this stuff, and we need to actually see that we're both supposed to work together to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish that, in our marriage.
0: And that when that is the expectation, this is what I really want to get to, is that a lot of this focuses on what is the expectation of how marriage is going to be. Mm. Because when the expectation is, we're going to be able to work this out, you actually do work it out. Mm-hmm. It might take longer, you might pray more, you might think about it longer, you might talk more. You know, you might have to dig up all kinds of crap from your past to figure out why this is such a problem, whatever it Mm -hmm. might be, but Mm -hmm. you figure it out because it all comes back to what you expect in marriage. If you expect that marriage is going to be something where you're going to agree, then you're going to eventually come to an agreement. But if your definition of marriage is this hierarchy where she submits Mm -hmm. to him making the final decision, and that's that's our definition of submit, um, then you must think marriage is full of disagreements. Because if the only way that she can fulfill this wifely duty to submit is to be in disagreement with her husband, (laughs) then if they always work things out, she never gets a chance to submit. Like, it's just, it's it's quite bizarre. Um, like the, the,
2: be, be more of a boss. Be more of a bossy, irritating guy so I can have more chance to submit yeah, to you. <laughs> because then the, yeah,
0: because the only chance that she has to actually be a good wife is if they're in constant, constant yeah, disagreement.
2: I don't think anyone thinks that. But no, it's, but that
0: is that is the way that it, yeah. that it is. So that's why submission is, And <laughs> you look in scripture, it's about serving. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Like, we're supposed to serve each other, consider others' needs before our own. Like, these, these are important things. Um, but it's not about conflict. Yeah. So, But a lot of guys think, yes, I am the man because I make sure that everything runs the way I want it to run. So with yeah. that in mind, I'm going to step out and I'm going to let you and Connor talk about the idea of a man and virtue being the opposites. Because I thought that was quite interesting in your article. So I will turn it over to you guys.
2: So first of all, I guess what I would say is, you know, what were your thoughts as you were
1: as you're reading what I, uh, what I said? Uh, so I rolled my eyes. A lot, mm-hmm. uh, not at not at what you were saying. I was gonna say, the, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I guess I'm gonna go back there and consider what I wrote. Let me just <laughs> let me just lay this out right now. I disagree with you. Strongly. No, um, just a lot of the a lot of the quotes and the sentiments that you were pulling in from the articles that yeah. you were addressing. is just. Oh my good! Like I don't act. I don't have any people directly in my life who carry these sorts of views. I just don't. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't tend to find myself surrounded by people who carry those mm-hmm. kinds of views. Yeah. Reading it was a lot of eye rolling, and I started reading through some of the sources that you had in there, and it's like, oh my goodness, wow! You really, you really toned it down for your article. Like they've gone full. Deep end on this, but uh, yeah, why don't you, uh, well, why don't you talk so through I a bit of what the, the article? Was yeah, about. for
2: sure. I mean, the thing for me that two things that really struck me that I wanted to talk about with you are the basically the, these guys have a view of masculinity which is very different than the masculinity that I see demonstrated in Christ mm-hmm. uh, when I read the New Testament, when I read the, the Gospel stories. So I, I want to talk about two things which I call myths that this kind of article tends to propagate. I sort of want to dissect. And kind of, you know, debunk those mm-hmm. kind of myths. So uh, the first one is the myth of the, what I call the myth of the masculine Christ. What I see all the time is, is this idea of people saying that Jesus was the most masculine man ever. And this is really, really, really important to them. And it seems to be a real big thing. And it tends to be the kind of guys who say the things, like I said earlier, how like, in my house, my rule, my word is law, or I rule, or, mm-hmm. well, we know Keith's not really in charge of his house. Ha, 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 what a weak man. That kind of stuff, and they have this idea of a real masculine Christ, and it's so important to them. Did you see that in the articles that I was referencing in my book?
1: Yeah. In my in my blog post. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, with with these people saying that, oh, Jesus is the most masculine. Uh, I don't really know where you see that in the Bible. I my first main exposure to Christianity and to Jesus was as a 19, 20-year-old atheist in university in a liberal arts degree, coming to a Bible study and reading through passages in Mark and Matthew just about Jesus and what he was doing and how he was interacting with other people. And so I had plenty of ideas of masculinity built up on my own, and reading about Jesus, a lot of those were... Challenged. He was humble, he was patient, he was kind, he was gentle, he was subservient. He had a dignity about him mm. that did not come from force or fear or, uh, you know, like a typical brawn or strength of any of that kind, but rather he had this strength and integrity that came from his absolute virtue. Mm, I agree. And I, th- I think that the idea,
2: Jesus is not, when we try and, we're trying to make Jesus in our own image when we start trying to put things on him that mm-hmm. are not there. And one of the things I say in my article is the people who tend to be the most, the man is in charge, that's the way that God designed marriage, there's no other way, if you don't believe that you're not biblical kind of people, say anyone who reads the Bible and doesn't get that is twisting the Bible to be their preconceived message, mm-hmm. right? They're twisting the bubble to say what they want it to say. But it's like, you're saying Jesus was this hyper-masculine, man's man, rough and tumble, totally tough kind of guy. But if you look at the actual accounts of Jesus, he refers to himself as gentle and humble of heart. Yeah. I mean, like, it's almost like I hear these people saying like, they're feminizing Jesus. Jesus was a man's man. The next thing you know, they're going to be saying that Jesus would say, if someone slapped me in the cheek, I should turn the other cheek instead yeah. of hitting him back. Like, right. that's the way they sound. Like, like, the Jesus that I read in the gospel said, if someone strikes you in the che- in one cheek, turn the other as well. Now, there's a lot of ways you can interpret that, and I, I won't get into all that, but but the idea that Jesus is going to be this tough guy who doesn't take any crap, pardon my language, yeah. is, I just don't see it there. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that these men would be, do so much better if instead of coming to the Bible with their preconceived notion of what being a man means, they just came with an open heart and open mind and saw what Jesus was, and learned to be a man from him. Because mm-hmm. I agree, I, Je- Jesus was a man. And Jesus is a man I want to emulate. Yeah. But I, I don't see him as the kind of man that they portray him as. And the yeah. reason I think it's a really, really, really important is, is because what I got, the, the flavor that I got from both of these articles was that if you're a woman, you can follow Jesus too. But, you know, you kind of can't do it as well as we can. Yeah, you just, you can't understand. You know, because... Jesus was a man. And anything that tries to take our Savior and separate him from the people he came to save, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know, in this case, women, I have a huge problem with that. And that's what I read. If I were a woman reading those articles, I would be, the message I would take away is I will never be able to understand Jesus the way that they understand Jesus because I'm not a man. And that is just, to me, that is unconscionable. And I don't. I really don't think that's the
1: case. The thing that I find incredible about Jesus is through all the accounts of him that we see in the Bible and everything, what really stands out to me is how incredibly situated he is, I think, to be really accessible and relatable to both men and women. Mm -hmm. Uh, He doesn't seem hyper-masculine and he also doesn't seem hyper-feminine as we as we conceptualize Mm. it, but the way he's able to reach out and connect to everyone, I think is one of the important fundamental things about Mm. Jesus. He's here for all of us. I think a lot of the traits Mm. that uh, the kind of people you're writing about in your article don't want ascribed to Jesus, these traits that they see as feminine or Mm. effeminate, I think a lot of those are some of the most important traits of Jesus that we should all be trying to emulate. Not because they're feminine or because they're masculine, but because they are good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Because there may be traits that we consider traditionally masculine or traits that we consider traditionally feminine. But when you start saying men must have only masculine traits and no Mm -hmm. feminine traits and Women must have only feminine traits and no masculine traits. That's ridiculous. That's not in scripture. That is not in the Bible. Like, yeah. compassion is a feminine trait, theoretically. Jesus showed compassion, right? Strength is a masculine trait, but many women show strength, right? And I talk about some of those things in my article as well, too. So once we start dividing the virtues up, then we're really getting off track. Yeah. And, I, and I, so I think this whole idea of trying to hyper-masculinize Jesus doesn't do anybody a service.
1: I don't think that there is a virtue that I should not portray Mm. because of my gender.
2: Yeah. So the second thing I wanted to talk about was the issue of the feminization of the church. Because that's the other big rallying point. You know, Mm. Jesus was a man's man. That's kind of their big thing. And then also the church is being feminized. And uh, the one that I remember specifically is uh, Mark Driscoll saying, the problem with church today is that it's full of chicks. And even the guys who are there are chickified. (laughs) <laughs> that was his, his quote I think I, and if I quoted him not exactly right maybe but that's, that's the concept of what he was he was saying and Partridge in his thing too says the same thing that the church has been effeminized the, the article is called the masculinity of Christ in the face of effeminate Christianity. So, what's your thoughts on that? Is has that? Do we have a f- crisis where the church has been feminized, Connor? What do you think?
1: Well, I mean, I th- I think there are kind of two things to tackle there, and the first is if we if we again reframe what they're calling feminization as just virtue, and what they're saying is that we've got a whole bunch of virtuous women, and the only men left are virtuous ones. It's like, okay, um, sorry, what was the, what was the problem? Um, but then the other thing is, do I think that's actually what we are seeing in mainstream evangelicalism, that we just have a bunch of really uh, effeminate feminist men in the church? Certainly not in a lot of the leadership, I think. I don't think well, that's what we're the seeing. the thing is that in these churches where they say the church is becoming feminized,
2: A lot of these churches, they still, they don't even allow women in any leadership role. Yeah, they don't allow women
1: in leadership roles. They try to keep uh, sexual assault and things like that on the hush-hush down low to protect like the pastors and youth pastors and stuff. And they're still talking about uh, the hierarchy in marriage and all of these things. I don't think that is what we are seeing happening in the mainstream evangelical church right now. Well, the thing too is that they, they make it sound like it's this crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Men aren't
2: coming to church because it's too feminized. And by feminized, we don't mean that women are in charge because the women aren't even allowed to be in charge in yeah. some churches. And mm-hmm. in the ones where they're allowed, it's that they're allowed to the same degree as men. Yeah. So we feminize things by not letting men be exclusively in charge anymore. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's why men are fleeing the church. So I have two problems with this. The first problem I have with this is that it's basically saying that men are a bunch of toddlers. If I can't be in charge, I'm going to take my ball and go home because the problem is that the reason that men are deserting the church is because we can't be in charge anymore and so therefore we don't want to participate. And if that's the case, then men need to smack upside the head not for to be put back in charge again because people who are toddlers are going to take their ball and go home should not be the people in charge of the church.
1: Well, and and you know what? It's interesting talking about toddlers and like, like that childlike mentality because with the image that I get in my head as you're saying that is like the the boys with the treehouse with the no girls allowed <laughs> yeah. And yeah, if girls started being allowed in their treehouse, they would absolutely feel like well, now our treehouse is getting all girled up. And so we're going to go, like, we don't want this. We're going to go home or we're going to fight against it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That is a very childlike mentality. Yeah, yeah. The other thing about that too is that it's,
2: it's not like Christianity is, like, losing ground. There's over a billion people that are in the church. It's not like we're some little minority that's under attack and we're losing our men. Mm-hmm. I don't think Christianity has an absence of men. I think it has a preponderance of women. I mean, it's, it's one of the most successful religions on the planet, precisely because it in its purest form, it accepts and honors and values women, mm-hmm. right? And these people portray it as if the church has been on this downturn in the last 50 years and become feminist, and so therefore that's a bad thing. And so therefore we need to get back to the roots. If you go back to the roots, if you go back to first century church, What was Christianity? I mean, the Roman philosophers described Christianity as a religion of women and slaves. Mm -hmm. Because it was so empowering to women, because it accepted and valued women. Unlike the dominant Christian culture. And this brings me back to the thing about the masculinity of Christ. The concept in the Christian church I see in a lot of sections of the Christian church is that men must be strong warriors who defeat their enemies... And women must be, you know, submissive and take care of the men, right? And a strong man is not afraid to break a few eggs and even maybe cross the line and do the things that are not exactly 100% above board. That's the mentality Mm -hmm. that they're portraying. I see that in the Roman philosophy of the time that the gospel was spoken into. Yeah. I do not see that in, in the words that Jesus spoke into that culture. No. So I think we by going by having a church that's more open to women, that's accepting women, that allows women in, we're actually more like the first century church <laughs> than these people who want to take us into a totally patriarchal, exclude women, only men in charge kind of church. That's
1: not what I see yeah. Jesus or the apostles were trying to create. Yeah. I just don't. Well, and let's talk about strength for a moment because for me, where Jesus' strength came from mm-hmm. is not from his muscles or not from violent actions or anything. His strength, his incredible, indomitable strength, came from his faith in an all powerful God. Yeah, his Father. His Father. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that too is what the strength... Uh, I don't think when the Romans were calling the Christians uh, like a bunch of slaves and women, and you know, essentially trying to say that these Christians are weak, what they're missing, I think, is that what our strength is supposed to be is not... Our strength isn't in ourselves. Our strength is our God, and our strength is our conviction in that God, and God has all the power. God has all the justice. God has everything... Mm-hmm. And our strength comes from knowing that we are his and knowing that he is here for us. It's not in and of ourselves. To me, that's what I'm trying to say with
2: this post, too, that I wrote, is for the guys out there. Because I think most of us, like, you know, I know that Sheila said only 34, 33.7% or whatever were safe. You know, I think that there's a lot of men out there who are almost safe if they could just give up a few of these kind of ideas that Mm -hmm. are harmful uh, and, but I think the majority of guys are not overtly toxic, like these guys who are saying that today's virtuous man is more virtue than man. Yeah, You know, like, I think most guys are not like that. But I think what happens is these guys dominate the conversation, and we just let them. And what I'm trying to say in this blog post, and I guess in today's podcast, is Jesus is not, it was not like the way these people are trying to portray him. And we need to stand up. When we see them beating up on our sisters, telling them that they can't be the same as we are, can't do the things we are, God can't use them the way that we can, that should just make us angry. I think if yeah. if if part of being a man is being strong and doing what needs to be done, well, what needs to be done now is to stand up for our sisters because they're getting short shrift. And they're and, being
1: told Jesus isn't like you.
2: Yeah, and that's unacceptable. That is just unacceptable. So guys, that's my call to you. Let's stand up for our sisters. Let's do what's right. Let's follow the Jesus who showed himself to us in the weakness of the cross, which was ultimately... The strength of you know god's salvation Mm -hmm. coming to us let's follow the paul who said when i am weak then i am strong let's use the strength that god has given us to benefit others rather than ourselves
0: Well, guys, thanks for being here on the podcast today. Thank you for our listeners for joining us. If you're all the praying type, Rebecca and I are on the final two days before our mother daughter book is doing at the publisher. So that's what we're doing like crazy. And so after that is done, we will be rejoicing. And then we will see you again next week for another edition of the Beer Marriage Podcast. (laughs) So take care. Bye
1: bye. Bye.